Lord Almighty, we come into your presence today and we worship you. Thank you for receiving our worship. Lord, may we indeed take this time and hear your voice. And may we hear from your word how we can be more and more the men and women of God that you have created us to be and that we long to be. Bless us now, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are complicated people. There are times when the very last thing I want to do is show someone mercy. I get all wrapped up in myself and in my own stinking thinking, and I do not want to cut someone any slack. Anybody with me on that? You know what I'm talking about? But there are other times when I am sincerely happy to bless someone. It pleases me is, in fact, an apt description of what is going on in my heart when I want to remove the consequences of someone's ignorance or, or even their malicious intent. Now, <laughs> I'm being straight up honest. I can only credit God the Spirit with doing that in and through and for me. I know for sure that when someone else cuts me slack, it makes me enormously happy. And so I want to do that for others. Because mercy is what God does for us 24-7. Whatever else happens, when you get to the pearly gates, don't ask for what you deserve. And one of the gentle mercies, one of the forgotten mercies that God the Father offers His people is the Sabbath. Rest. Joy in the Holy Spirit. A fresh weekly reminder that nothing we can do or not do is so important as trusting God's promises to bless us more with stopping for a day than we can do by running like a chicken with our head cut off. And because Sabbathing well is so important, Satan has confused God's people over and over again. Therefore, you and I need the reminders offered by Moses and Isaiah and Jesus and Paul. So important, in fact, that we are going to look at these two passages. We are going to look at Jesus' most important communication on celebrating Him well. And then next time, we're going to examine the broader scriptural witness about the Sabbath. Now, before today, we get to understanding Jesus' comments, we need to have a quick history lesson. We need to understand a little bit more about first century Israel. Now, the Sabbath, as you know, was one of the markers of Jewishness. Circumcision, kosher living, temple sacrifice, and Sabbathing were all considered those crucial most important markers that you were in fact a Jew and that you took your religion seriously. 
Now, Paul addressed each of these in his various letters, and in each case he affirmed that the regulations involved in these were no longer necessary for salvation. And he will explain a little more detail how the Sabbath was slightly different, though he continued to practice all of them, evidently, until he was martyred. Jesus, in what I consider to be his most important statement on the Sabbath, does not discontinue the Sabbath. Instead, he teaches us to show mercy. Jesus teaches us that he gets to pick how we celebrate him. Allow me to read these two paragraphs in opening up how Jesus wants us to look at the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they not doing, they're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus on how to destroy him. We learn two crucial facts in these paragraphs. The first is, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He gets to pick how we celebrate him. And the second thing we learn is that Jesus' biggest priority in how we celebrate him is that we give mercy to our near ones. Now, because we don't have the cultural expectations that Jesus' first audience has, we must ask first, why the Sabbath? Why the Sabbath at all? Well, Sabbathing, as you know, is the fourth commandment of the Big Ten. That, sincerely, ought to be enough for anyone. Much of the rest of Scripture fine-tunes the requirements of that one command. But secondly, Moses tells us that keeping the Sabbath is one of the most important signs of the covenant between Yahweh and his people. I get that from Exodus 31.13. Moses says, or Lord says, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. 
keeping the Sabbath is about maintaining a relationship with Yahweh. It's about trusting that He will come through for you in your life issues, even if taking a day off seems unreasonable at the moment. Keeping the Sabbath is not is about God sanctifying you. Keeping the Sabbath is about Him making you more like Jesus because as you trust His promises, you will know Him better and therefore love Him more. And taking one day in seven is a sign. It's a demonstration both to yourself and to those near you that you want to be set apart. You want to be different in a good way. A way that demonstrates that you trust Jesus. Now, we will seek to understand next week how keeping the Sabbath points our heart to creation and points our heart to the Lord of creation. How keeping the Sabbath points our heart to redemption and how the Savior who gave us redemption and keeping the Sabbath points to consummation and the Spirit who affirms in our hearts that this is not our final home. And that is where we will see the Sabbath coming home for us. But for now, we need to understand what this sign is. A sign in the Old Testament is an authoritative, a divine revelation that symbolizes important aspects of that covenant that is being offered to God's people. God's people participate in the sign to show their loyalty to the covenant And God participates by offering the sign to demonstrate what it is He offers in the covenant. The sign is His side of the bargain, as it were, to communicate how He wants to bless His people. For example, in Genesis 9, 12, and 13, the rainbow is the sign of the covenant that God will not destroy the earth with a flood again. In Genesis 17, 12, for example, circumcision is the sign that a person belongs to the covenant by being fully devoted to Yahweh. In Exodus 3, 12, for example, Yahweh promises Moses that he will one day worship the Lord again on Mount Sinai because he wants him to have confidence that in spite all of the intervening troubles, Yahweh will be with Moses. Then in Exodus 13.9, for example, the Israelites refrain from eating leavened bread on the Passover to remember that bittersweet redemption, that bittersweet deliverance from the house of of slavery in Egypt. And we see in Exodus 31, the Sabbath is also a sign. And the point of this sign is that Yahweh offers rest to everyone who clings to Him. The point of the sign for Israel is that they trust the promise that Yahweh gives to provide that rest, to provide the provision, protection, and purpose that only God can fulfill. It is a sign that Israel realizes that relying merely on their own ingenuity and strength and rugged good looks won't cut it. You know what? Do you realize what saps your energy chasing after things you don't need? Seriously. 
Are you energized after you have checked Amazon for the fifth time in a row for some new thing that you want? Do you feel happy after you've poured over every comment on every post in Facebook? Do you like yourself after you've griped or whined about how mistreated you are to someone or even just rehearsing it in your own mind? Now, if you are as human as I am, I suspect the answer is no. These are zappers. They take away our, our rest, our trust in the Lord. And going in the Sabbath to share mercy with those who are around us energizes, provides grace that we need. You see, you and I keeping the Sabbath is not about earning anything from the Lord. Keeping the Sabbath is a sign. It is a reminder of what God has done. And it's a reminder of what God is doing. And it's a reminder that our side of the relationship has responsibilities as well. I mean, if you continue to ignore your wife and kids and their needs, then the relationship won't exist at all except for maybe as a mere formality. Who wants that? Not Jesus, that's for sure. Nor any other sane person for that matter. Show mercy. How can you show mercy? Think of ways you can show mercy. Take time one day this week and consider the various situations that you go and you experience in your life on a weekly basis and think ahead of time. How could I bless this person when this situation pops up? And then pray about it. Lord, give me an opportunity like this. And then when that opportunity arises, oh Lord, help me to show that mercy. Because keeping the Sabbath is all about Jesus. And whatever you do on the Sabbath, you and I need to make sure that we are doing it in a way that honors Jesus. Because Jesus gets to pick how we celebrate Him. So let's open up our passage. Mark 2, verse 23 and 24. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, His disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees went up to attack Jesus. And they framed this discussion as a legal debate. It, this is about the law, Jesus. So Jesus goes with it. He takes the bait. But he has an agenda that they don't understand. Perhaps they can't know. They can't understand due to the hardness of their heart. And essentially what Jesus gets at is what James does in 2.13 where he says mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus wants you to celebrate His day. And according to these two stories, what I consider to be the two most important stories on how Jesus wants us to celebrate Him to keep the Sabbath, to, to engage in Sabbathing is by sharing mercy. Mercy is God's undeserved power to correct a part of the curse of the fall. 
Mercy is the other side of the coin that we usually call grace. Grace is God's undeserved power to accomplish His purposes in your life and in the life of your near ones. Mercy is God's undeserved power to relieve you or your near ones of deserved consequences, of the result of the curse of the fall. And therefore, living graciously as defined by Scripture is allowing God the Spirit to move in you so that you begin to habitually live grace and mercy in all the situations of your life because mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, in the Pharisees' defense, there was, in fact, a law against harvesting on the Sabbath. Now, they strictly interpreted that law and said that what the disciples were doing on Sabbath was harvesting. Now, obviously, Jesus had an answer for that, and we see it in verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Now this reference comes from 1 Samuel 21. David and his companions ate the showbread because Ahimelech, that was Abiathar's son, gave it to him. David needed food. Ahimelech had food, and feeding the needy was evidently more important to Ahimelech and to Yahweh than strictly keeping the ceremonial law. And the fact that Jesus mentioned this affirms that he felt the same. And there's something deeper in this vein of argument that Jesus gave the Pharisees. Jesus was affirming that mercy, valuing the meeting of human need, is greater than strict observance of the ceremonial laws. The more so because Jesus is coming to fulfill those ceremonial laws. He's not there yet, but he will. Mercy, valuing Meeting needs of those who are around you is more important than simply keeping the ceremonial law. And Jesus is the one who gets to pick how we celebrate him. But now we come to the two most important verses in the whole section. So we're going to take this apart into three questions. Verse 27. Jesus said, to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The first thing that we see because of this is that Jesus in this statement displays the weakness of the giant idea that the Pharisees lived their lives with. They believed that they could make a fence around the law. You see, the idea is that if disobeying a law is like stepping off a cliff, they thought, what if we put a fence around this cliff so that you would never fall off the cliff? You would protect people. Now, this is a noble idea on the one hand. We have guardrails around the Grand Canyon, for example. But the problem is, 
Making man-made traditions in order to protect people turns man-made traditions into laws. Now you need a fence around those. It never ends. And frankly, no matter how many laws exist, you will always remain a sinner and you will always be apt to fall over the cliff. Better by far is to understand what it is that that God requires of you. To understand this is what I should do and then throw yourself for mercy on the King of mercy. The one who sits on the throne of mercy as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But number two, we can declare absolutely with precision and clarity because of these two verses that the Sabbath is not an end in itself. In other words, we don't make judgments based upon what day of the week it is alone. Instead, we seek to understand in everyday living what will bring glory to God. And In this case, in the case of these two paragraphs, what we find that brings the greatest glory to God is gladly showing mercy. Gladly meeting human needs of those who are near us. And number three, whatever else. Whatever else the Sabbath is, verse 28 tells us that Jesus rules over the Sabbath. He gets to pick how we celebrate Him. And the Sabbath is a great mercy God has given to His people and that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He gets to pick how we celebrate His day, how we celebrate Him. And mercy triumphs over judgment. My friends, this is where the heart of keeping the Sabbath lies. Keeping the Sabbath. We're going to learn a lot more about it next time. But while we're learning more about it next time, we need to keep in mind that mercy triumphs over judgment. So on your Sabbath, begin thinking, who needs mercy? Who needs an encouraging call? Who needs to be forgiven? Maybe you need to Forgive somebody and say to them that you forgive them. Maybe you need to write a note and say, you no longer owe me that money. Maybe you need to bring dinner over to somebody. You need to meet a human need. And the trusting in the promise is to say, Lord, I don't want to do this. I frankly don't like showing mercy sometimes. Sometimes the last thing I want to do is show mercy. But I trust you, Jesus. In obedience, I will show mercy. I will celebrate you in the way that you have shown me. And you will bless me because of that. Now, you've already noticed we are finishing chapter 2 today. And we're starting chapter 3. Remember, there were no chapter divisions in the New Testament when Mark wrote his gospel. It wasn't until 1551, actually, that a guy named Robert Estein, or Stephanus as he was also known, established what would become the accepted versification of the New Testament. 
Now I contend when Mark wrote these two paragraphs, he stuck verses 27 and 28 right in the middle because he wanted us to catch the point of these two history lessons about what Jesus did on the Sabbath. And so we get to Mark chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, if we learn nothing else from this story, we learn that the Pharisees felt it was more important to trap Jesus than to worship Yahweh on this particular day. Evidently, this wasn't the only time that was true because on Luke 13, 14, another Sabbath, we see, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Oh my goodness, what kind of warped thinking was that? Once again, Jesus took the bait. Aha, you want to go toe-to-toe on the Sabbath? Let's do this. In verses 3 and 4, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees watching this, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? They were silent. Here's the key question. In the first paragraph, Jesus' main point is in statement form, 2.27. And there, Jesus said point blank, the Sabbath was made for man. Here in chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus makes it clear with a question. He makes it clear that made for man in 2.27 means made for his benefit, made for mercy. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, came to benefit. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, came to offer mercy. To bless mankind and every single individual. Therefore, it stands to reason that on His day, we should place the good of our near ones over and above any ceremonial law. However, as obvious as this should have been to everyone present, they were silent. They didn't want to say anything. Because they wanted to harm Jesus. Jesus simply won't play by our rules. Nope. He wouldn't. Jesus knew that they knew that the whole point of this setup with the man was that the man with the withered hand was so that Jesus would show himself to be in contrast to and therefore conflict with the Pharisees. Which is exactly what happened. Verse 5. Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. Angry, grieved. This was Jesus' reaction. Angry, stiff-necked. This was the Pharisees' reaction. So Jesus healed. Jesus' angry response was to heal. Jesus was grieved by their hardness of heart. The Pharisees were like chickens. Chickens are stupid and stubborn about their stupidity. They're also stinky. And I'll let you think of another S word that describes how mean they are to each other. But chickens are stupid and stubborn. Chicken is my new animal mascot. 
for Pharisees. And Jesus' angry grief was due to the fact that this stubborn stupidity meant that they were going to suffer judgment. Jesus' angry grief at their stubborn stupidity meant, was, was because he knew that 70 AD was going to come. And angry grief was due to the fact that this stupid stubbornity would result in judgment against everyone who would never trust the promises of God for them to heal their withered soul. Mercy. Mercy. Jesus wants to be worshipped by offering mercy. Who do you need to offer mercy right now? You get angry with stupid, stubborn people about politics? Offer them mercy. Do you think that arguing on Facebook is going to change anybody's mind? Offer them mercy. Pray about it. Ask the Lord, how can I show this person mercy? And then do it. Certainly there is more to worshiping Jesus than that, but not less. And Jesus gets to pick how we celebrate him. Evidently the mercy in this case didn't work, however. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, their enemies, against Jesus and how to destroy him. So already, chapter 3 of Mark, we see the gloves are off. This line makes more sense in the Matthean version of this story. Mark is not trying to lay out a chronological description of Jesus' ministry. Instead, he is simply giving us some controversial events and he's telling us that the gloves are off and the fight is on. But how does Jesus fight? How does Jesus fight? Does he put up his fist? Does he call a score of angels to come and wipe them out? How does Jesus fight? He offers them mercy. For the most part, he doesn't offer recrimination. He doesn't offer threats. He offers mercy. And even when he's threatening the religious leaders, the threats are a mercy. Come. Come unto me, all you who are heavy, weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mercy. Jesus gets to pick how we celebrate him. This is Jesus' most important word on how you should keep the Sabbath. And next time we will pick up from here. But pray. Maybe especially about your political adversaries. And for the rest of the time between now and November 3rd, celebrate Jesus by offering mercy.
Lord, we know that no matter what happens on November 3rd, you are the King of Kings and President of Presidents. And so we can remember that first and foremost, we belong to you. Let us offer those near us mercy. Bless us this week as we seek to be merciful. In Jesus' name, amen.